Jesus Christ, he died for the sins of the whole world. It wasn't just the Jews who brought accusation and then the punishment of death upon him, but it was Jews and Gentiles who came together at this one moment in history to see that the Son of God would be crucified according to Scripture. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. Well, we're going to be looking at John's Gospel, chapter 18, picking up in verse 19. He's there in the high priest's house, and they're beginning to judge him. They're trying to find a legitimate reason as to why they can bring Jesus before Pontius Pilate, that they might have legitimate charges. They wanted Jesus, as we'll see, to be put to death. And they knew that they didn't have any legitimate charges for this. So we're going to look at this message today. I titled it right from the message, Pilate's words, asking Jesus, what is truth? And we're going to see in verses 19 through 24, the court of the high priest, verses 28 through 38, the court of Pilate, and verses 39 and 40, the court of public opinion. That sounds familiar, the court of public opinion. We see it happening in our own world today as well. Let's go ahead and just get into a few verses of our first point. We're going to look at verses 19 through 21. I'll open us in prayer, and we'll begin our teaching. Reading from verse 19 of John 18. The high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spoke openly to the world, and I always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where the Jews always meet. And in secret, I have said nothing. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them indeed, They know what I said. So, Father, we pray that you would help us to just hear from you this day the words that you would have for us from this passage, perhaps a very familiar passage of Scripture to us. No doubt, Lord, uh, the trial of Jesus and his crucifixion is very familiar to your church. And it is publicly proclaimed throughout the year, but especially when we celebrate Uh, Resurrection Day or Easter. Lord, these are very familiar passages to us. I pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear this day 
what your spirit is saying to your church, this church, this day, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. So first, I just want to make mention that this trial was not a legal trial. Uh, it was by night, and they had rules just like we have rules in our justice system. They were not to bring anybody to trial at night and bound like this. I mean, they could have no doubt arrested someone, put him in uh, prison overnight until the morning, until the trial would come about. But this was an illegal trial by night. It was the first of three trials that Jesus would stand before the religious rulers of Israel. And there would be also another three trials that he would stand before the Gentile leaders, Pilate and Herod. Three times he would stand before them, twice before Pilate. Jesus Christ, he died for the sins of the whole world. It wasn't just the Jews who brought accusation and then the punishment of death upon him, but it was Jews and Gentiles who came together at this one moment in history to see that the Son of God would be crucified according to Scripture. In reality, all these, the chief priests, Pilate, all who were involved, the soldiers, even the disciples, they were all playing out the story that had been recorded prior to the event ever taking place, recorded in God's Word, documented in the prophecies of both the Old and New Testaments. But we find that they are there in the home of Israel's true high priest. It began at Annas' house, and he questioned Jesus about his disciples and his doctrines. Uh, just like in politics today, and are you guys tired of them yet? I mean, it's almost November, right? We're getting a lot of commercials and ads talking about who we should vote for and why we should vote, and then they're back-to-back. -back. You'll have the opinion and opposing opinion back-to-back -back on the same commercial spots, or not the same, but they'll just run them back-to-back. -back. You know, vote for this guy, don't vote for this guy, and they'll give you the reasons why. Like in politics today, when an opposing party wants to find something against their opponent, and they try to bring accusation against uh, his words, and they'd like to twist the words to make it sound like something he didn't actually say. And they've been doing this for quite a while. Luke, in Luke 11, 53 and 54, tells us that the scribes and the Pharisees began to assail Jesus to cross-examine him with many things, lying in wait for him, seeking to catch him in something he might say that they might accuse him. They've been doing this for a long time. They still didn't have any formal charges, but they knew that they'd need to bring formal charges when they brought Jesus before Pilate. Jesus wasn't going to fall for it. Remember many years ago, there was an accident on one of the jobs that I was the foreman on, we were building a building over at Great Lakes Naval Base, and one of my laborers dropped a scaffolding brace that fell and hit a back of some other uh, construction worker. And so there was a lawsuit that came against our company, and because I was the foreman, even though I didn't see the accident, uh, they brought me in for a deposition because, well, I knew the rules of our company and how we operated and such. And so went down to Chicago, met the lawyers for my boss, and he kind of explained what was about to take place. And then we walked across the street and we sat with the opposing lawyer. And there was a point in the questions 
where I finally just probably raised my voice a bit at this point, and I said, look, you've asked me that question three times. You just keep changing the words. The answer is still no. And the guy said, all right, I'm done. And that was it. That was the end of it. And then as we were walking back across the street, the lawyer said, they'll never call you to get you on the stand. I wasn't allowing him to confuse me. I, I saw through it. Now just think, if I could see through the simplicity of some lawyer in Chicago, think of Jesus. He knew what they were up to here. He knew their hypocrisy, and we know that it's found sometimes in our justice system as well. How much more of the Son of God seeing through their hypocrisy? Jesus not going to fall for this deception, but he forced his enemies in verses 20 and 21 to prove his guilt, saying, I've spoke openly in the synagogues, in the temple, where all the Jews met. I've said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who heard me. He knew that if they were going to bring accusation against someone, according to the word of the Lord, that it had to come by the mouths of two or three witnesses. But Jesus saying also, I have no hidden secrets. If you want to find fault with me, then present the witnesses to testify against me. And their problem, they've been attempting to trap Jesus. Mark tells us way back in Mark chapter 3, verse 6, after Jesus had healed a man with a withered hand. You may remember that account. It tells us afterwards, the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against Jesus how they might destroy him. That was in the second year of Jesus's ministry. They had been plotting against Jesus for almost two years at this point, and they still had nothing to present against him. Mark 14, 55 and 56, again, it says the chief priest and the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. By the mouths of two or three witnesses, any matter should be decided, and they could only find one witness here and one witness there, and no one agreed. So we find in verses 22 through 24, when Jesus had said this, one of the officers who stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, do you answer the high priest like that? And Jesus answered him, if I spoke evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? And then Aeneas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. And so the officer thought that Jesus was disrespecting the Israel's true high priest, Aeneas. Remember last week I told you that we know according to Scripture, whoever became the high priest, according to Levitical law, they remained the high priest until their death. But Rome found that they could better control Israel if they would appoint the high priest. So it was in the family. Uh, the appointed high priest was Caiaphas at this time. He was the son-in-law to Aeneas, but he was not truly the high priest. They brought Jesus before the standing high priest first. This officer apparently thought Jesus was disrespecting Israel's true high priest. You know, there was no innocent until proven guilty. They just had Jesus down as guilty at this point. 
And this is what Jesus was pointing out. He said, if I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why do you strike me? Now, this may sound familiar because the Apostle Paul also stood before a high priest in Acts 24, 3 through 5. And he also was struck for the words that he spoke in the presence of the high priest. And Paul, man, I love the courage of Paul, his words back to the high priest. God will strike you, you whitewashed wall, for you sit to judge me according to the law, and you do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? Now, Paul was reprimanded for even speaking that way for, to the high priest, and it's kind of debated whether he actually realized it was the high priest. It could have been that uh, he was an appointed high priest, and Paul knew that this isn't the real high priest. I'm not going to uh, worry about you. You've been appointed by Rome. And other commentators think maybe the high priest was in not his high priestly garb and he wasn't then recognized. Or we know Paul had an eye issue, maybe couldn't see very well at this point. We don't know. I just love the boldness of Paul in that situation. But what happened, and I just want to wrap up the remainder of what John doesn't tell us and just kind of combine the Gospels here to give us a rundown of what happened. He was at Aeneas' house, and he sent him to Caiaphas' house, the high priest, verse 24. And in verse 28, we pick up with Jesus being taken to the praetorium to be judged by a pilot. And so when they brought Jesus to Caiaphas' house, and the chief priests and all the council of Israel, they sought to bear false witness against Jesus. Matthew tells us, that there were many who brought witness against Jesus, but none could agree. And I've already mentioned and referenced this from Deuteronomy 19.15. One witness shall not rise against a man concerning the iniquity or the sin that he commits by the mouth of two or three witnesses. The matter shall be established. Finally, we find that two men came forward saying that they heard Jesus say, destroy this temple and I will rebuild it in three days. Now, they were referring to something that Jesus had spoken in the first year of his ministry. They didn't even have a, a recording of it. They didn't have Facebook to remember to look up or a YouTube video of Jesus at the temple saying these words. They still, three years later, they remembered the words of Jesus that were spoken in John 2, verse 19, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. Now, John goes on to give commentary saying, this he spoke not about the temple, the building, but about the person, Jesus Christ, the temple of his body. And so they misunderstood the words of Jesus, but it was enough to put together the false charges against Jesus. But then the climax and if you know the story, the account that we have from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Jesus, for the most part, he remained silent. He didn't say anything to them. He just, as Scripture had prophesied in Isaiah 53, as a lamb before the shears is silent. But then the high priest said to him in Matthew 26, 63 and 64, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said, it is as you say. Nevertheless, I say to you, hereafter you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming 
on the clouds of heaven. It's only after the high priest said, I, I bind you with an oath to the living God, your father. And the high priest didn't believe that, but Jesus knew. And when he bound Jesus to, you know, it's like us today going to court and they don't perhaps do or do not do this today in our court systems. It's hard to tell, but we're very uh, used to it from old television shows and they probably don't even show this on TV anymore. But take the Bible and put your right hand on the Bible and, and tell you to swear the truth upon the Bible in the court system. Well, he was bound and he spoke and he said, it is as you say. And he went on to testify. And one day you're going to see the Son of Man coming with power and great glory. And at this point, the high priest tore his clothes. And he said, Matthew 26, 65 and 66, he has spoken blasphemy. What further need do we have witness? Look, we have heard it. What do you think? And they answered, he is deserving of death. And so this was the second trial, an illegal trial by night. And then they gathered in the morning, the Sanhedrin court of that of 70 of Israel's leaders. And they formalized, this was the only uh, legitimate trial of the three, but they formalized charges against Jesus. Luke 23, 2 tells us that they brought three charges before Jesus. The first, that he had perverted the nation. Uh, no, the nation was already perverted from God's laws or God's standards. The second, that he forbade the people to pay taxes. No, what did Jesus say? Render to Caesar what is Caesar's and, what, and render to God what is God. So he didn't forbid them to pay taxes, but they tried to use it anyways. And the third, he had declared himself Christ, a king, the son of God which he was, which he is. But we find that blinded by hatred, the high priest judged himself unworthy to believe in Jesus. We pick up in verses 28 through 38 in the court of Pilate. Now, Pilate was appointed by Tiberius to be governor over Judea for 10 years from AD 26 to 36. And when he initially came to Israel, he did some things that, well, it... It wasn't very good. It upset the Jews a lot. He, first of all, he moved the headquarters of the governor from Caesarea to Jerusalem. And when he came, his soldiers brought in their standards that bore the image of the emperor. And so it was breaking the second commandment. You shall have no graven images. And then he took and he hung golden shields in his house. But the golden shields bore the names of his deities. In the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Well, if that wasn't enough, he needed to build an aqueduct. And what do they do when governors or political people need money? They take it from you to do what they want to do, right? So they robbed the temple treasury that they could build this aqueduct. And then finally, he killed some Gentiles and he took their blood and he mingled it with the temple sacrifices. And so he basically made the, the altar of the temple unclean for a time. So, yeah, there was no love relationship between Pilate and the Jews. But what's interesting is the strange bedfellows that politics will make 
Even to this day, we see it. The Jews hated Pilate, but they needed him if they were going to succeed in crucifying Jesus. And we find that to this day, that politics makes some pretty strange bedfellows. And so we find this depraved hypocrisy, first of all, by the Jews themselves. In verse 28, it says, they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium. It was early in the morning, but they themselves did not go into the praetorium lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. So I just want to make mention of the hypocrisy of the religious rulers here. Uh, As Jews, they didn't want to come into contact with a Gentile lest they be defiled, unable to participate in the Passover offering that evening. But they also were bringing Jesus to have him condemned to death when they knew that he was innocent of the charges. From the beginning, Pilate sought to release Jesus, knowing that it was out of envy that the rulers brought him there. But notice the impact that Jesus had on Pilate. We find in verses 29 through 32, Pilate then went out to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? And they answered and said to him, if he was not an evildoer, We would not have delivered him up to you. Then Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. And so first we find the rulers were not willing to present any charges. They had them. We know it according to Luke that they had those three charges that I've just mentioned to you. But at first... Here in John's account, they didn't present anything. They simply said, hey, if he wasn't guilty, we wouldn't have brought him in front of you. Isn't that enough? Isn't our word good enough for you? But it was Mark who wrote in Mark 15, 10, for Pilate knew that the chief priest had handed him over because of envy. Pilate knew the lies. He saw through their lies, and yet he was willing to go along with the Jews here, as we will see. But they responded there in verse 31. It's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This is something that the Romans did to the Jews. Up to just a few years earlier, the Jews had a right to govern over themselves, meaning that they had a right to bring capital punishment upon those who they felt were worthy of death. But just a few years earlier, history tells us 40 years before the fall of Jerusalem. And so we know the fall of Jerusalem, A.D. 70. So in A.D. 30, the Romans revoked Israel's right to govern themselves. And when this happened, history tells us that the Orthodox Jews poured out into the streets. They tore their clothes and they cried out, the word of God has been broken. For prophecy had declared in Genesis 49.10, The scepter shall not depart from Judea, nor the lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. What they did not know, what they did not recognize, that Shiloh was there. He was in their midst. He was among them. If our timing is right on these things, it happened right at the beginning of Jesus's ministry that this law came down from Rome that revoked Israel's right to govern themselves, meaning They had no right to put anyone to death. And yet Jesus was there among them. The rest giver had come. He was standing in their midst and they did not 
recognize him. I see this significant in another way as well. If the Jews would have condemned Jesus and been able to put him to death, according to Jewish law, they would have took him outside of the city and stoned him to death. But the Bible says, cursed is he who hangs on a tree. This speaking of Jesus in the Old Testament, Paul makes commentary to that very same thing in Galatians, that Jesus was going to be crucified, not stoned to death. But here's another thing. If the Jews would have been successful, then everyone who has ever called the Jews Christ killers would have been justified in saying that. But Jesus Christ died for the sins of the whole world, for the Jews and the Gentiles. And so God, in his wisdom, his majesty, he arranged the pieces of the puzzle at this perfect time in history that Jesus had to stand before both the Jews and the Gentiles to be condemned that he might die for all the world. Father, thank you for your word and for what it has taught us this day. Help us, Lord, to take that stand for truth. Help us, Lord, to be strong in the stance that we'd be strengthened by your word and your testimony in all things. I pray in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today, and may the Lord richly bless you as you worship Him today. Let God